This is episode number 15 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. If you've been keeping up with the blog and what I've been contributing to open source over the years, you might be familiar that I've done a lot of stuff on OAuth. So for example, back in the day, I had written a library called ng Cordova OAuth and ng2 Cordova OAuth, which provide an OAuth layer for Ionic framework mobile applications. So it allowed you to connect to the Facebook, Google, those kind of providers in order to get tokens. This episode is going to be centered around OAuth, and with me I have a very special guest. His name is Ryan Chenke, and he works for the very popular internet safety company called AuthZero. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Ryan Chenke, and we're here to talk about a type of authentication and authorization called OAuth. Um, and what that's all about. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's give Ryan a chance to introduce himself. Hey, everyone. My name is Ryan, and uh, I am a developer advocate at Auth0. So I do a lot of conference talks where I'll talk about things around authentication and identity. So things like OAuth, um, and then also generally stuff about how to um, how to include authentication in your application that you're building. So very popular these days, of course, would be React and Angular and a bunch of other uh, client-side frameworks. So how to build in authentication to those types of apps and how to involve the back end as well. So that's what I do um, mainly. I'm, I'm also a blogger. Um, I produce screencasts. And uh, I'm also a uh, soon-to-be author. I've got a, a book coming out pretty soon about authentication for Angular applications. So you've got a bit of an accent there. Where are you from? <laughs> you detected that, did you? I am in Canada. So I live in Ottawa. I uh, grew up in northern Canada, and I guess that's that's what you're hearing. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so uh, since you're a developer advocate, do you primarily focus on the front-end technologies, or do you any, do any of the back-end stuff as well? Uh, so it's a mix of both. Um, so in my, I guess my preference personally is full-stack JavaScript. So uh, my personal choice is to use Node for back-end stuff, um, and I'll teach on that. I'll teach how to uh, how to protect your API um, with uh, with uh, like a JSON web token middleware, for instance. Um, but then I'll also teach other backend technologies as well. So stuff with Go and Ruby, uh, Python, kind of whatever. We, we have a lot of offerings at Auth0 for what you would, what you can use to, um, you know, uh, for your backend, it, for any kind of tech stack you want, really. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into Auth0 uh, soon um, as we progress. But before we do, what can you tell me what exactly is OAuth? And is it called OAuth or is it called Oath? Because I've heard it both ways. <laughs> It is, uh, it's OAuth. Um, so absolutely. So I guess the best way to think about it is uh, to, you know, by way of example, I, I mean, the definition really is that it is this kind of this framework or protocol that lets third parties uh, access limited resources on behalf of a user. But a good way to kind of put that into, I guess, perspective and to, to understand it is say you wanted to build, you know, an application. And maybe just something simple. It was something something where you can like grab um, a user's photos from Facebook or Twitter or whatever, 
and then do whatever, like rate the photos or, or do something. It doesn't really matter. But how do you get access to those users' photos? So you want to basically the, the kind of construct is you want to have users sign up for your app and then be able to get their photos from their Twitter account or their Facebook account um, in your application and then have them do whatever with them. So um, I guess question for you, Nick, like what, what would be a way to do that? Like just, just like very basically, how would, how would my application be able to access your Twitter account or your Facebook account? The first common thing that comes to people's mind is probably username and password, right? Exactly. So you could have your third party application that you're building say, okay, give me your Twitter username and password. But then all of a sudden you've opened things up such that the user has to give you the third party developer access to everything, right? If you've got their username and password, you basically got the keys to everything that, that they have in their Twitter or Facebook account. So, <clears throat> excuse me, basically OAuth is this layer, this protocol framework, people call it different things, but it's this layer that allows us to get limited access to, um, to resources for a user um, based on what the user authorizes a third-party application to have access to. So in our example here, for our application that's rating photos, uh, OAuth would be this, this flow through which the user would be able to uh, either accept or reject this request for your third-party app to access their photos. And all they would get is access to those photos. They wouldn't get access to any other resources for that user. So so let me, let me clear things up. So is OAuth an authentication layer or an authorization layer, or is it, <clears throat> it, or is it a little bit of both? So the best way to think about it, I guess, just in, in more sim simple terms, is to think about it as an authorization layer. So, you know, authentication and authorization are, are these kind of two different constructs, but have some overlap perhaps, right? So authentication is being able to prove that you are who you say you are. Um, so, you know, that happens when we log in with our username and passwords. We're proving that we have credentials, like based on our credentials, we're proving we are who we say we are. But then authorization is this concept where you... Um, you're kind of saying that you should have access to, to certain things. So if somebody is authorized to have access to a certain set of photos, for example, they have to be able to prove that somehow. And so OAuth as a layer, as this, this flow um, gives, uh, you know, flow framework, whatever you want to call it, gives people the ability to get that kind of stamp of approval that they are authorized, um, that your third party app is authorized uh, to access their photos. They've got this, this authority to do so. So kind of two different concepts there, but, but I thinking about it, you know, simply cause there, there are some overlaps. There are, there, there are dealings with both authentication and authorization within OAuth, but just kind of simply it's this, this authorization layer. It's, it allows you to authorize a, a third party application to access some of your resources. Sure, you know that sounds good. So let me ask you this: so some some sites that I deal with, um, like um, particularly when I deal with two-factor authentication, um, some sites will give me a application password, right? A token that it generates, so that way, um, say my email client doesn't do two-factor authentication, I, I have this password that I can use. Why why not just have that a thing? So why why not just generate a bunch of specialty passwords for each service? Does that make sense? Um, I suppose so. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I get. I guess you know OAuth. I think it's because ultimately there there are a lot of use cases for having to do this kind of third party, uh, sorry, authorizing resources uh, for a third party on behalf of a resource owner. There are all sorts of um, kind of architectural scenarios where maybe that wouldn't something like that wouldn't really work um, too well. So OAuth kind of gives a ton of different uh, ways that you you might go about doing this kind of authorization flow. Um, and so that, that is meant to fit kind of a, a vast array of different, of different architectural setups. Um, so the, this, this idea of like getting, um, it sounds like, you know, this, this two factor auth, uh, thing you're describing, you're wondering about getting, getting kind of a, a password for a specific resource. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't come up too often. It, it used to come up a lot more, uh, in the past, but I mean, every once in a while I'll come up with, uh, like I'll generate some kind of email password for my two factor because I don't know, Apple Mail doesn't doesn't do two factor authentication, doesn't accept a time based password. So I have mm. to generate um, just an application password. Uh, right. And so perhaps something like that could work in in some some scenarios. But um, I guess you know the I guess the overall answer to to that would be like OAuth is this kind of this yeah. this huge construct that's been been well thought out and, and, and developed over over many years that that kind of gives a, a stamp of approval saying like this is a a secure way that you can go about doing this kind of third party authorization stuff. Yeah. So so earlier on you mentioned uh, JWT, which is JSON Web Tokens. Yeah. Now, did that? So maybe you can explain a little bit on that and if it came before or after OAuth or if they're even related at all. Yeah, so um, there there's certain crossover, but I guess you know what what I would start out by saying is that um, OAuth is is this uh, token based authorization kind of framework. So the end result of you going through an OAuth flow and um, you know first perhaps proving if you're not already logged into Facebook or Google or whatever, you know you authenticate to prove you are who you say you are. Uh, and then you you allow access to your photos or whatever. The result of that is going to be an access token. And that access token is what's used to later for the third party application to later retrieve um, and get access to your photos. It's kind of this, you know, this this token that says, okay, I can go. And because because everything's checked out, I can now get access from Facebook, whatever, to this person's photos. So that access token, um, there, there is no kind of one way that the OAuth um, framework states that access tokens should be uh, should exist in or be formatted as. So one option is to use JSON web tokens, and that's what we do at Auth0. Um, the result of completing the OAuth flow and getting your access token uh, is an access token that is a JSON web token. But it could just be like any other opaque kind of token. And that's what you'll see a lot of providers like um, I believe Facebook, I believe Google does it too. They're going to give you an access token that's just an opaque string instead of a JSON web token. Um, so, so you have the option to do either one. They don't really, um, they don't, they don't suggest that you have to do one or the other. So we can certainly get into, into more about JSON web tokens if you like, but that's kind of how, how those things fit together. Sure. No, 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 that's fine. Um, so, and then now going back on the OAuth. So I've, I've run into scenarios where, uh, I see that some, some providers are using what they're calling 1.0A versus 2.0. I think Twitter is using 1.0A where things like Facebook are using 2.0. Um, are, is, does that mean that the 2.0 is safer or easier or just um, newer? Or Can you go on about that? 
Sure. Yeah. So from OAuth one, OAuth one was kind of, as far as I understand it, was was kind of um, constructed under. Uh, or I guess by means of, of a lot of different larger companies kind of doing similar things and trying to, to have this this whole uh, concept of, of getting limited access to resources. So I think in the early days, it was like Flickr had their own implementation of, of a user being able to, to authorize access to certain photos um, or whatever the case was. Twitter was doing something similar. And so they all kind of came together to formalize this under under OAuth. Um, so, from what I understand, OAuth one is kind of like it was the you know the first implementation of this, but has turned out to not be so secure uh, at the end of the day. Um, now, differences between one and and one A, I'm not not too sure. Um, I would be surprised if Twitter isn't offering OAuth two. I, I suspect that they would be. It's kind of like the uh, it's kind of the standard now when you're when you're doing OAuth. Basically, when you talk about OAuth these days, you're really talking about OAuth two, uh, for the most part, anyway. But but yeah, so OAuth one kind of very early um, turned out to be not so great in terms of the best practices that the industry has has come across now. So OAuth two encapsulates a lot more of those best practices um, and and is deemed more secure. Yeah. So on on the issue of security, so say. Say um, you're, one of your accounts gets compromised, right? You're, you've logged in through a third-party site uh, with your, say, Google credentials, and that site was compromised. Is your Google account now compromised? No, and so that's the beauty of OAuth is that you're instead of like you providing your you know your username and password and somebody then stealing that information from like a third party app, for instance, uh, if that were the setup that you were going with, that would compromise your your Google Google account. You would need to reset your password, make sure nothing has been terribly hacked and whatever. But with OAuth, one of the beauties of it is that this access token that you are that the third party application is issued on um, at the end of the the successful successful flow, that is uh, is limited in its uh, in its lifetime, uh, or it should be. Uh, there's there's definitely this uh, concept of like having a, a small expiry window uh, for an access token. And that really limits what somebody could do or how long they could do it with um, uh, if they stole your access token. There, you know, if they if somebody gets a hold of it, some malicious user, uh, if you have an expiry window that's like ten hours or eight hours or even like two hours or something, then there's a very short window that they can actually uh, do something with it. So in those scenarios, say say they're within the ten hours of your expiration and they've got your token, can they in theory go in and change your Google password using that token? Uh, so that's that's where OAuth also shines is that generally no because you're not going to unless unless like an OAuth provider like Google wanted their their uh, scopes is what we call them if, unless they wanted their scopes to be super vast uh, and include such things as being able to minute like. A, be able to change your your password. Um, the token itself wouldn't let uh, a malicious user or your third party application do that. You would get scoped. You basically, when you get this access to access token, you're scoped down to what you can do on behalf of a user. So a user, you might be able to access the user's photos, but definitely you wouldn't be able to change their password or manipulate their account in other ways. And and that's, you know, one of the great things about OAuth is you can get really fine grained in these scopes and what they allow you to access and not access. 
Sure. So let me run by a scenario. Uh, let me run a scenario by you. Um, you may or may not be familiar with the incident. Um, I read recently that there was some kind of phishing exploit going on uh, with Google, I think, Sheets or Google, uh, their spreadsheet uh, application, where um, this phishing attempt would, would send you to this site that used Google's OAuth flow, but instead redirect to their own site with, with your access token. Is that is that right? Have you heard about this? Uh, I'm not familiar with the details of this particular one. So one of the risks, certainly in phishing attacks, is that um, you, like generally in a phishing attack, it's when they're trying to steal your your actual credentials, so your username and password. And so if you get like a malicious email that has a link to some, to, to a, a site that looks like a Google sign-in form, you're going to be like, okay, it's Google, I'll just plug in my credentials. And that's where you can collect, that's where malicious uh, that's where attackers can can steal credentials and then they would certainly be able to manipulate your google accounts um but for the the sheets incident i'm not too familiar with it the access token uh, itself uh, being able to manipulate credentials i don't i don't know how that would all fit together but um but certainly that's not that wouldn't be standard like you you wouldn't you wouldn't generally have an access token have scopes for being able to manipulate credentials yeah, no problem. I wasn't following the issue very closely, so I don't know exactly what what happened. It just uh, rang a bell in my mind. Um, cool. so, so no, no problem. Um, so when it comes to uh, tokens or OAuth in general, you you mentioned expiration, and that kind of brings me to my next topic. I I believe that there's two types of grants, right? There's an implicit and an explicit. Is that correct? Uh, well, there's actually there's more more than that for grants. There's oh. uh, and there's there I, I guess there are five. Um, you know, f- we talk about four of them um, kind of more popularly. There's uh, so there you mentioned implicit and explicit. There's certain there's definitely the Im- implicit grants, but um, explicit there wouldn't be an explicit one. There'd be so the four that you talk about most often would be the authorization code grants, uh, the implicit grants, the resource resource owner grants, and the client credentials grant. Um, and so there, you know, there's a lot of them and, and basically they're all there to suit these different kind of architectural setups that you might have. Um, and so the implicit, implicit grant, a lot of people hear of that, um, because there's so many people building single page applications these days. And the implicit grant is one that is often used with, uh, with client side applications. So like it's, it's, it basically exists for things like JavaScript applications that run in a browser. Uh, and the reason that they're there, the, that these these different uh, grant types exist, is because there's kind of a different dance, I guess a different OAuth dance, if you want to call it, that you would do under these different scenarios. Um, so things like the client credentials grant, that would be if you have like server-to-server communication that needs to take care of authorization. Um, the implicit grant, like I said, is when you have a single page application, the authorization code grant that's in a more traditional setup, if you want to call it that, where you have like a, a server rendered, um, just round trip application. Uh, and what it comes down to is generally how these different setups are able to handle, um, secrets because one of the elements of, uh, registering yourself as, um, I guess a, a third-party application that's using an OAuth provider is one of the elements of that is is a secret key, um, and the implicit grant uh, is used because cl- uh, browsers as clients can't uh, securely hold secrets. There's no way that they can keep a secret key and not have it be vulnerable. 
But traditional round trip applications, it's not the case because in a traditional round trip application, your server can hold a secret uh, and can securely hold it and, and not have uh, users get access to it when they shouldn't have it. And so with that in mind, there's these kind of like different, uh, there's, there's a bit of a different flow for each one of these. Um, with regards to how they call the authorization server and the the back and forth between them and this kind of dance, as we say. Uh, and so those are kind of the, the four. There's another one that you'd consider like the refresh token uh, grants. But uh, those those four that I mentioned are, are kind of the, the ones you'd, you'd think about most often. So so why why would a secret key be relevant at all if you can do it um, without one? Let's say that. Right. Yeah. So essentially, it's going to layer on um, additional security. Um, one of the, one of the other elements in in all of this is the concept of a, a redirect URI. So if you went to Google or Facebook and you wanted to register your third party application uh, to use them as an OAuth provider, you have to register a redirect URI that um, is yours. That is for your application. And so if somebody tried to to do this OAuth dance on your behalf, if they maliciously tried to do it, uh, they they re- they don't own that domain that you own. So the redirect URI thing kind of like prevents them uh, in a way from from being able to do it maliciously. Um, but the secret key adds in uh, an extra layer of security. So there's, I mean, they're they're all considered secure, but there's. With the implicit grant, you're you're missing that um, one of the steps in the flow that would otherwise be there if you had a traditional setup. Um, but there, there's still there's still security around it. It's just perhaps it's maybe there's this extra extra layer of security uh, with the authorization code grant. And and if you read the OAuth spec, like it'll tell you you have to weigh the these different kinds of setups um, in your own architecture against security uh, any security implications that might exist with um, with those you know it doesn't say you know you must use this because this is most secure it gives you the option and says you know just like be mindful of of the risks involved with each so i, I get a particular question a lot um, so with the and you can correct me if i'm wrong but with the browser implicit grants you don't get a refresh token back, right? Let's start there. Cool. So, yeah, like with um, with refresh tokens, you know, one of the really, uh, I guess, th- one of the things you have to be really mindful of is that they they are these essentially passwords, um, and you can use them on and on again to get new access tokens for a user. Um, and so, knowing that it's really important that they not be stored in the browser. So people will sometimes store refresh tokens in local storage or session storage, but this is uh, definitely not a good place to keep them because again, browsers are, are these public clients that can't hold secrets and the refresh token really should be treated as a secret because it's, you know, got this generally no, no expiration time on it. And if somebody gets a hold of it until you as the application developer revoke a certain refresh token, some malicious user can use it to get get uh, new access tokens. So g- generally, you want to keep refresh tokens on your back end. I mean, you you always do. You always want to keep them on your back end so that you can be sure that users can't get a hold of them. So then um, if, and you can correct me if I'm wrong again, um, so the implicit tokens always have an expiration time. Is that the case or is that sometimes? 
Well, so uh, the expiration time for access tokens, it's really kind of left up to the implementer. It's yeah. it's an implementation detail. Um, and I mean, you can, you're, the, the best way to do it generally is to keep a really short expiration time, uh, expiration window, I should say, and and just do like token refreshing to kind of not have a bad user experience. Because if you had if you had your users signing in again every two hours or whatever it was, you know, that's that's not great for user experience. But uh, but it is good for for security. Um, so in those circumstances, you want to have a short window a short lifetime for your access token and then refresh it uh, as much as you need to um and that that bodes well for for security is there a and maybe this is where auth zero comes into play is there a best of both world solution where you you don't need that back end to hold your refresh token but yet uh your browser-based application doesn't need to constantly log in right so with auth zero the the way that we implement things i mean we 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 take care of a lot of these, like pretty much all of these details for you so that you don't have to like worry about certain implementation details. Um, but the way that we do it, for example, if you want to get like a renewed access token is you, you call one of our endpoints with, um, we, we call it like a different prompt. So there's either, there's these two different prompts you might consider when you're logging in with Auth0. One is like prompt equals login. I'm picturing this in the query string. That's why I'm saying prompt yep. equals login. So that's, that's in the query string of, of a, a transaction that you're requesting. And that would give you the login form uh, at our, our, our authorization server. And then you would get an access token once you log in. But if you call um, or if you make that same call with prompt equals none, that is um, basically saying that you want to get a new access token after having already authenticated. So we do the checks and everything to make sure that that's okay. And then we send you a new access token. So in that case, like you don't have to worry about a refresh token um, and how to handle that with Auth0. We kind of take care of those details for you. So then let's let's go here then. So can you just give me just a high level of what Auth0 does uh, as a whole? Yeah, for sure. So there's there's a lot of things we do, but um, I guess at the end of the day, we we like to say that we make uh, author, uh, authentication and identity um, easy for developers. So you know, there's in talking about all this OAuth stuff, um, you know, you can probably imagine that if you were to try to implement all of this uh, with your your own code from scratch, that would be pretty cumbersome. Like there's there's a lot of details to get right. There's you know, you've got the spec, the OAuth spec, but it 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 leaves a lot of room for interpretation so there's a lot to lot to do and a lot to get right so basically we we just offload all of that for you and we allow you to do oauth very simply um and but that's not all we do we do th a lot of other stuff like we make single sign-on very easy we make multi-factor authentication very easy um and and a whole bunch of other stuff too but those are some of the, the i guess the larger topics um so you know, you can do anything from just having like a really simple login form for username and password, which we give you. We, we've got this uh, thing we call the lock widget, which is uh, a, a ready to go out of the box login form that you can embed in your application or you can use it on our hosted login page for you. Uh, you can you can use that to have very simple username password authentication and and be done with it if you want or you can add in social connections so you can add in Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and whatever to to authenticate users with 
Um, you can do all sorts of things uh, along the authentication pipeline with what we call our rules engine. So if you if you wanted to kind of modify the behavior of authentication transactions, um, say, for example, you you have user, you want to set a policy, for example, and you want users to only be able to log in if it's a weekday. Say, you know, you're an enterprise company and you don't want your your staff to be able to log in over the weekend. Uh, you can you can set that up through some logic that you would write in JavaScript. Uh, in our in your OSIO dashboard, and so we would run this rule against any transactions that come in, and we would say, okay, if it's a weekday, allow it to proceed, or if it's a weekend, allow it or just error out. Um, so that's a very simple example, but these these um, modifications of the authentication pipeline come in handy when you need to set policies and and kind of do different logic based on different conditions. Sure. So. I'm, as a JavaScript developer and a Node developer, you've probably heard of Passport.js, right? Yeah. Um, does Auth0 compete with Passport.js? Are they completely different tools or do they work together? They they work together. They work together very well. Actually, the author of uh, Passport.js is uh, an Auth0 employee, uh, Jared Hansen. And cool. yeah, so he, he uh, works at Auth0 and... Um, it is uh, kind of a good match. This Passport JS, uh, yeah, Passport JS library and Auth0. We we use it in our in our sample offerings. So, like if you were building a traditional round trip node application, we we have our samples set up to use Passport. And there is this Auth0 strategy that has been built for um, handling Auth0 authentication in in Passport JS. And you kind of just plug in a couple lines and Passport will do all the, the OAuth stuff and the code exchange and everything. And then it will, it'll all just work. Um, so, so yeah, in that way, it's a very, it's a very good match because, because at the end of the day, um, Auth0 is, is just an OAuth provider. So we, uh, I mean, we're much more than that. We do do much more than that, but, but when you want to think about login and authentication and authorization, we we're an OAuth provider. So we work with things like Passport.js very easily. So, uh, so we've talked about many different providers, including Auth0 being a provider. Does Auth0 offer you any kind of tools to make your own provider? So yes, absolutely, um, and that's what uh, that's what a lot of a lot of companies have have come to us for is that they want to provide their own OAuth. Um, they want to be an OAuth provider, but they don't want to have to do everything necessary to set up their own OAuth servers and. And uh, and you know have the the staff that is necessary to manage all that. Instead, they want to offload all of those details to somebody else, and so they come to us. And basically, you can you can become an OAuth provider very easily uh, by by being an OSIRO customer. You uh, you set up your your authorization server details and all that, um, and you know we are the authorization server kind of on your behalf. People come to log in at OSIRO, but really they're they're getting access tokens for your uh, API and scopes can be limited at, to, uh, you know, as to what users can access and what app, third party applications can get access to and that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, we, we kind of offload all of the trouble of, of being your own OAuth provider. Now, is this a, a cloud solution that, that you do or is there a local instance of, of uh, an Auth0 offering for this? 
Yeah, so you can do both. Um, we are both a cloud uh, provider, which uh, many people use, and then we also have on on premise. So if you are needing to keep everything behind your own uh, server on on your own server behind your firewall, then you can we can we can certainly be um, a provider still, and we 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 offer an on prem solution too. Sure. So as a developer advocate, uh, you probably run into some strange questions or you probably run into people doing things maybe not so correctly when it comes to uh, OAuth. Is there any kind of last minute words of wisdom that you can share with the listeners on your experiences? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess, you know, one of the things I see often would be like, uh, what's flow to use and what circumstances? Um, because, you know, the, if you read the OAuth spec, it's not terribly intuitive. Like there's a lot of language that's, um, you know, not, not super easy to understand. So people get confused about, about which flow to use and whatnot. Um, we, in our, our documentation and our samples, we kind of make it very clear which flow you should use in which circumstance, just because our, our samples come with the, that flow baked in. Um, but it, there's, there's like kind of room to do different things there. Uh, so I guess, you know, knowing what the best flow is for your scenario is important. And we have documentation that kind of goes into detail there talks about like for your, for this specific setup that you might have, which flow to use. Um, so that one, uh, another big one that I see, I've seen before, I haven't seen it in a while, but I've seen this before is keeping refresh tokens, uh, in the browser. Definitely don't want to do that. Um, what else have I seen? Um, if you're, if you're ever using OAuth and OIDC, so OIDC, OpenID Connect, is this layer um, on top of OAuth, and, and we, we make use of that, that deals with, with authentication and identity for a user. Um, so with, with the OIDC uh, spec, you would get back, as part of that, you get back um, what's called an ID token. Um, so one, one thing that we've seen before is people using the ID token to protect their API, whereas you should actually be using an access token to protect your API. So certainly if, if you know, you ever see um, examples or people using ID tokens to protect an API, that's, that's not the right way to go. You definitely want to use the access token. So those are some common things that I see. Got it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so that's all I have for this particular episode. I, I appreciate you being on this call, Ryan. Um, and then maybe as things progress in the future, maybe OAuth Standard 3 comes out. Uh, I'd love to have you back on the show. Great. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. Everything discussed on this podcast episode is definitely good information to know when you're building your own web or mobile application, because you should definitely know how uh, you're going to be securing your data, how you're going to be interacting with these providers uh, and things like that. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you went into iTunes or Google Play or wherever you downloaded it from and left me a five-star rating and review. So that way future listeners of the show can get an idea on what they're getting themselves into and how it'll better benefit them as developers or uh, software engineers for that matter. If you want access to a huge amount of developer tutorials, go ahead and go to thepolyglotdeveloper.com. That's the web blog that goes with this podcast, and it's designed specifically for your developer education. If you want to get in contact with me directly, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm very responsive. My Twitter handle is N-R-A-B-O-Y. So N-R-A-B-O-Y, which is the first initial of my first name, and then my last name. And that concludes episode number 15.